You know, for the last episode, we didn't have a blooper trail. <laughs> I think it's coming back. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> okay, okay. Let me put my professional work mode on. Do you want to take over while I blow my nose? <laughs> oh gosh, ah, this is hard, Oda. Okay, and we're back for another episode of Food in the Hood. Yep, that's right. So this week we're talking about foodborne outbreaks,、um, specifically spurred on by the recent romaine lettuce outbreak in the U.S. But before we jump in, I believe we have some updates for you. So Ben. Yes,、uh, we do.、Uh, just hold your excitement of talking <laughs> about food safety. <laughs>、yes. uh, we do have several、uh, updates that's relate to the podcast itself.、Uh, we probably you won't know from the front end, but in the back end, we switched a host site. We're now using a service called Anchor. Right. We、um, moved from Buzzsprout to Anchor. So. Right, right, right. So the entire reason for our move was that. Buzzsprout.、Uh, for those who don't know, it's a hosting,、uh, a podcast hosting website that、um, provides basically cloud storage to all these podcast audio files we've been uploading, and、um, it gives some very neat stats of our listeners.、Mm-hmm. However, it costs money to use it. <laughs> yes. So, being the bro- broke grad students that we are, we decided to look for a cheaper or free service.、Um, but that also means we need money. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so we're already. This is like exactly like doing research. Right, we're considering about funding. Funding is a continue. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, we're still in a very early exploratory phase to. See what, because Anchor essentially could have some sponsorship opportunities, and even some、uh, supporter options, which means that you, the listeners, that can、uh, contribute. If you really like our podcast, you can contribute to us directly through Anchor, and、um, we could generate some revenue to support our、uh, our productions. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be really cool, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I'm、uh, about my own personal development or my own graduate school career. I am doing some literary review writing, literature review. Yep. So that's a fun journey. A lot of paper reading. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of paper reading and like um. So before we started, Amanda was saying how the good thing she likes about podcasts was that we don't have to really cite stuff. Oh my god, a godsend! <laughs> <laughs> you can literally say anything and never back it up, and people won't call you out on it, which is both a good and bad thing, I think. <laughs> right, right, right. But but for writing a、uh, academic literature review, you do、yeah. have to have everything sort out and cite. Yep. Um, so that's that's what.、Um, but well, I don't know what what kind of、um, citation software do you use? I use Zotero hey, mostly、same. because it's free. Wait, say <laughs> it's great. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Right, and it get、uh, yeah. it it's got the、uh, the the Google the Chrome. 
the Google Chrome yep. plug-in, so you can just click. Oh, yeah, it, that's what I use. Yeah. It's a little slow, I would say. Uh, like you to, know, but it's free. That's yeah, all right. we can it's, really ask for. It's free, and it, like, I mean, it's just being the, the, the mini programmer of myself. I was just like, how can yeah. you speed it up to just scrub the just scrap it's because essentially it's doing web scrubbing right it's it's yeah it's generating all the title authors and all that information exactly yeah 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 exactly so that's that that's fun and then from my end my update is that um i'm back home in malaysia for winter break for like three weeks so that's great um you know spending time with family and everything and just Mm -hmm. to show you if my voice sounds weird it's only because i'm mildly sick um, so I got that nasally voice going on, but this is just to show you the extent of our dedication. It's Christmas mm-hmm. here in Malaysia. It's Christmas Eve in yeah, Kansas, right? That's true. And we're recording this podcast. Wonder what I'm doing. That's how much we like you guys. <laughs> so yes, yeah. if you see our dedication, please mm-hmm. donate to our I don't know anchor or GoFundMe <laughs> or whatever it is we end up making. What, once we figure um, it so out, so we sure. can continue doing this. Once yeah. we figure it out, yeah. Yeah. You okay. might occasionally hear like a motorcycle or something like that, um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, business as usual. Yeah, this is um, this is a transcontinental recording right now. Exactly, mm-hmm. it's a fourteen-hour difference. Oh, um, so let's 14. jump in. Okay. It is fourteen because okay. you're in central, right? Yes, I am central. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, so back to romaine lettuce. Um, so for those of you who don't know, just to f- kind of fill in everyone. Romaine, the romaine lettuce outbreak, I think, happened in the U.S. about a month or two months ago. And I mean, I think statistics is continually being updated. But so far, there are at least 59 recorded cases in 15 states with 23 hospitalizations. So this is a pretty big outbreak, I would say. Oh, yeah. Made to the news. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that got us thinking, you know, Produce outbreaks happen all the time. And given how advanced we are technologically, why is it still happening? Is it something we can really ever um, cut down to zero? Is it something we can prevent forever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, yeah, so there are multiple parties involved, right? There's food producers, there's government, there's food consumers. So we just want to kind of take our own approach to lay out what is available as resources and um, really we're not experts in in, in food safety mm-hmm. we're, we're more of a so so I guess this is actually good because we're taking more of a consumer approach I guess right we're not uh-huh. professionals uh, we're both not food safety experts we're not microbiologists we're both in more of the <laughs> food analytical chem side so I think this will be interesting. Yeah, because yeah, we're yeah. approaching it from also a consumer perspective, but also don't take anything we say at face value because we don't know what we're talking about. Sometimes <gasps> this is we the, try. This is the risk of talking about food safety, like something that we're not completely familiar with, or we're we're, we're right. moderately familiar with, but we still have a lot of room to improve, and exactly. many of many of not our knowledge might not be super up to date. It might be still mm-hmm. like 2015, 2016 when our pass yeah. up class finished. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep, that's okay. True. 
Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Going back to that, um, so I guess it would be useful to first define what a foodborne outbreak is. From my understanding, um, it is when more than two people get sick eating the same food. Mm-hmm. And it can be caused by a variety of agents. So bacteria, virus, parasites, toxins, chemicals, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when more than two people get affected, that's when, you know, it becomes less of a, oh, you're sick and more of like, oh, this thing is making a couple of people sick. Maybe we should look into it. Like, what is right. it? Mm-hmm. And the the fun fact of the in the United States, the agency that looks into it is fda or cdc (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i should know this oh man so so there's there's a i'm more leading towards that there's a squad in center for disease control that investigate in these outbreaks do you know the name of that the nickname of that squad no a team of people what I think it? it's called Team Diarrhea. Oh, wait. I have heard of it before. I think you're right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. That that proves how good we are at food mm-hmm. safety knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do remember um, Team Diarrhea or Team D. Um, it has been mentioned mm-hmm. in the past. I think it started off from a group of students at the University of Minnesota or something like that. That's what I see. I think it was Atlanta. I don't know. That's it? where the CDC is at. Yeah. But I'm not so sure. Okay, we this learned, is what I just we saw. We learned these. Yeah. yeah. We so learned think, these in in Minnesota. Yeah. I believe Team uh-huh. Diarrhea, nicknamed Team D, um, is a model for outbreak investigation that started off at the University of Minnesota, but may soon, I think, eventually went on to serve as a model for other food safety centers around the country. So. Oh, damn. Yeah, Ooh. that's that's cool. <laughs> We're both we did our undergrad at University of Minnesota, so that's nice. Go Gophers! I don't know. Maybe Frank Bursta started it. Who's Frank Bursta? He is the old Francisco that oh, retired. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. okay. Um, going back to where we left off. So foodborne illnesses, I think, are a pretty big thing. You know, every year, one in in 10 people will get sick worldwide from foodborne illnesses. Yeah, that's kind of insane. Yeah, exactly. So um, we could uh, jump into sort of the source of how foods get contaminated. And especially today, we're going to focus on these uh, produce food. Right. I guess not all foods are susceptible to sit, not susceptible to the same type of contamination. You know, some food are probably at more risk. Like you probably don't want to eat raw chicken, you know, ever. <laughs> right, right, right. And and actually, you know, these things still makes to the news. Some some news would just say like this is, um, like salmonella outbreak in chicken, and which which sounded a little bit awkward to me because. I always think that salmonella is naturally presenting chicken, right? It is true. Salmonella is naturally mm-hmm. present in the intestines of chicken, and I think often during the butchering process, that bacteria can transport, like it, it can be transported to other parts of the chicken. Yeah, right, right, right. And mm-hmm. I mean, nothing to say against meat in general, but I just think raw meat would 
the the likelihood of I don't know like bacteria or pathogen presence on raw meat is a lot higher than other type of food. Right, I do、mm-hmm. think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Mm-hmm. And, and and you get to the other type of food. You, you, there's also like for more of a processed food or. How do we say like packaged consumer foods? Right, you, right. You would see a less of recalls on food safety or foodborne illness. Definitely,、yeah. like a package of potato chips. That's that's、mm-hmm. fine for the most part. You know, it has low water activity and everything.、Um, or、uh, it involves a kill step, right? It involves a kill step and things like、yeah. canned tomatoes, since、mm-hmm. it's going to be what's the word? It's not autoclaved. You know, canning. What's the word for it? It is、um, yes, low acid food. You know, foods that are canned, low acid food, but also foods that are canned go through a process. Oh, retort food. Yes, I was looking for that okay, word. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you、um, know, they're they're placed in the retort, which raises it to a certain temperature. So,、mm-hmm. you know, you you have that kill step there, so you have that peace of mind. But with things like lettuces. Even if you wash it, you know,、yeah. I feel hey, like、um, it's it's never really fully a hundred percent safe. Yeah, sorry, I was just gonna jump in. We should. This is a good time to talk about actually what's a kill step, just very briefly, because、mm. we kind of、yes. throw in this term. Yeah.、Uh-huh. Do you wanna go ahead? Okay. Yeah, I can talk part part of it.、Um, a kill step is a not to kill the food. But to kill the bacteria <laughs> on the food, you're not killing the chicken.、Yeah. You're only killing the bacteria. Right, but but I mean, I mean, this is. I feel like this is a jargon in food science, right? Because that is true.、Uh-huh, that is true. Like a kill step.、Um, so so it could be obviously heat, like what we just said.、Uh, if you retort、uh, your can or you pasteurize your milk, that that's all. That's、mm-hmm. all considered as a kill step.、Um, What what are other kill steps that you can think about? I guess maybe some people try using radiation for spices.、Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it constitutes as a kill step, but it is widely used. No, spices no, yeah, but but they say they say it's a food additive somehow. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well,、uh. that's another whole can of worms that we can go into. So, <laughs>、um, but I guess kill step. I think more often than not, it is heat. Yeah, you know, yeah, a certain yeah. amount of heat apply、mm-hmm. a certain amount of time. Yeah. So things like pasteurization, you know, when your milk is pasteurized or your juice is pasteurized,、mm-hmm. is just a step during the manufacturing process to、yeah. kill potential deadly pathogens, right? Yeah. And my engineering self came in. And just want to add that. <laughs>、um, so high pressure processing sometimes could also achieve the same level of killing, yes. like same same、mm-hmm. level of eliminating bacteria on food. And、um, I think、uh, the other one, which is rarely mentioned, it's actually filtration in liquid food. Oh. For milk,、um, you could technically use microfiltration to filter out bacteria. Which in my, I didn't know that. Which, in my opinion, is kind of cool, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you would still get your lipids and your proteins that will pass through the filter, and it's and then your bacteria will,、mm-hmm. you know, and it's all not go through. It's 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 all、um, cold process, so you don't get cooked flavor、right. in there. That is really interesting. I did not know that.、Mm-hmm. 
All right. Um, and then anyways, moving on. <laughs> so how does how does how does food even get contaminated? Right. Let's talk about the lettuce since that was our example. Right. How did that lettuce get contaminated? Was it during the field? Was it during the process of transporting it? Was it preparation at home? Yeah, I I think it can happen. I mean, field is probably the most or the least controllable or the most susceptible place to get contaminated. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. What are some sources? I think in this case, since we're talking about E. coli, um, it can happen a lot. Like you said, at the farm. So you know, if bird poop gets onto lettuce, um, or if contaminated water, water that has been contaminated with E. coli and whatnot, gets onto that lettuce, that can the lettuce can be contaminated at the source, or it can also be during the processing. Where you know farm workers who don't wash their hands, or there's farm equipment that has animal manure on it that can come into contact with lettuce. So that's another、um, right possible avenue.、Mm-hmm. There's just so many, I think, variables. Yeah, you know, some people don't. I think a lot of people don't see that when a food gets from the farm to your plate, it has gone through numerous hands, numerous places. <laughs> so all of these are very susceptible、oh, yeah. to contamination. Because I think from a ecological standpoint, isn't like E. coli? It's because it, like animal is the source of E. coli, right? That's where E. coli is naturally presents,、mm-hmm. and then it needs to get some kind of channel, either through water or through like birds, like who、mm-hmm. who 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 like would also likely to transfer these E. coli. To on、uh, like some kind of vegetable or some some plants that are growing outside, and sometimes、yeah. like wind also matters. Like some it just sometimes、mm-hmm. it's just like it's on the it's on the dust of like a cow barn, and they like blow onto the field next to it, which happens to be like a lettuce farm. Right.、Uh, right. Yeah. So all of those can happen, and I, I guess that's also part of how hard it is to track. The track down the source of contamination,、mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, 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 and that's、right. that's what you know. We see a lot of those pre-chopped, pre-washed bags in the grocery、yeah. stores, and they're normally、yeah. uh, they they claim that they, it's it's triple washed with water and chlorine water, but、um, so it's still it's still got a chance. So that's why you know manufacturers actually wash it to at a Sterilization, not a sterilization, but like a what do you, what do you say? Additional、now? step to reduce、yeah. that potential contamination. Yeah, we're like not even good at micro vocabs. We're, even, <laughs> <laughs> we're scrambling to find the right words. We're like, what's that called? A retort? Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> it's not a sterilization. That means it's clean. <laughs> right. So, case in point, I think this is important for people to remember. If two food science grad students. Are having such trouble talking and understanding the whole food safety thing behind food. What about consumers? You know. Oh yeah. I think that's a really important thing to highlight.、It's、too. Super hard. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah,、um, yeah. And I think Ben, you had like a Apple example that you wanted to bring up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So、uh, during my undergraduate years in University of Minnesota, I、uh, worked in a post harvest lab, which deals with both.、Um, Uh, primarily, the, the the 
the lab works with apples, but we also worked with uh, lettuce. And um, this is sort of a service work that we did around Minnesota where uh, we collected uh, actually lettuce and kale, I think, from uh, very small farms in Minnesota, uh, six or seven spots uh, through the state. And we tested uh, for salmonella, E. coli, and listeria. Mm -hmm. And what we found was that we actually tested some positive on listeria. I was not, not right, right, right. I was not the one to proceed additional tests to confirm if it's a bad listeria or the lethal listeria, uh, which is called listeria monocytogenes. Uh, Nasty stuff. Yeah, the the, the hardcore stuff. Yeah, so so that that was that was some experience there that that really, especially when you get to those small farms, the good manufacturing practice is very uh, difficult to maintain, or sometimes, or this is a lot of about farmer education and uh, good practice on the field would really result in some of these uh, some some of these uh, foodborne illness related issues. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. but but I don't think they're selling to corpse. They're they're only selling on farmers market. And you right, know if right. you're buying fresh vegetable from farmers market, please wash them before you eat. <laughs> please wash them. I wonder if the regulation surrounding like a farmers market in terms of selling produce would be different from you know like Kroger or a grocery store that's selling the same thing. Um. Well, but they, they, you have to be big enough to make to the corpse, right? To co-ops. Right, yeah. right. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also part of the challenge, too. A lot of corpse, like Kroger might sell its own brand of lettuce, but I think that it usually comes not from one farm, but multiple farms. Mm-hmm. So there's also that, you know, when you come when it comes to tracking down the source of a foodborne illness, you want to track it to the source, like which farm... If oh, it's yeah. a farm problem, which farm is producing this lettuce? But mm-hmm. that's additional. That's an additional layer of difficulty, right? When it comes to oh yeah, for um, tracking down things for sure. And, and that's really where um, I guess it's it's sort of our next topic. Uh, yeah. where where big data or predictive analytics right. comes in. For oh, <laughs> big words. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I mean. Big data is such an overused word at this point, but I think we have seen a lot of how it is being applied to, you know, maybe the tech sector or the financial sector, but there's also been work to include it and kind of push it forward in um, food science and the food industry. Oh, yeah. So with all this technology that we have, I think we have a lot, we have, we have, a much more betting, better tracking system than before. That also helps with awareness and news coverage because if you can track more outbreaks, mm-hmm. uh, then it's easier for you to, when you're trying to work backwards to identify the source, that's definitely helpful. And if, not just in terms of tracking, but if you're able to figure out that this is an outbreak and not a one-time incident really fast, then you can stop more people from getting sick. Right, 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 right. You can get the word out as fast as possible, and I think, yeah. I, and I think from the past when when we took you know food microbiology or something or food safety maybe there was 
sort of this responsive. Um, uh, so, so, so I would describe it as a as a histogram. You see that, but but it's not necessarily a histogram because the mm-hmm. x axis is time as the first outbreaks comes out, first case reported, and as the date proceed, you see a an increase of all the uh, of all the case reported. So at, at certain time, you will see that the peak has passed and then it goes down. So it's sort of a bell-shaped curve, right? Um, and, and but but the but the mm-hmm. they put a red dash line. I'm trying to like visualize it for you. See if you can remember this too. Right? Uh, no, I know what you're talking about because I yeah, remember right, right, seeing right, right, right. class that's, that's distinctly. What ta- that, so that thing, right? So there's like a red dash line that's labeled like like across that bell-shaped yeah. curve, normally pretty close to the peak. Or actually, past the peak, that's when they actually declared the outbreak, which is when most people have already gotten sick from yeah, it. Yeah, right, right, right. So, so right. this is no good. Like right. Maybe, maybe sixty or six seventy percent of the 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 people have have been gotten sick, and I guess mm-hmm. if it's a one time issue, it's it's like a it's like a single bell shape, right? It's not like bimodal. There's no like a second second right, right. peak, so which means that they continue to produce and they continue more people to get sick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're saying it's it's exponentially going up, and then um, when it starts to come down is where the line is. Or do you mean that at the peak is when the outbreak reporting happens? You're saying that past the peak is where the outbreak reporting happens, I right? I thought some of those are. Because those might be just national data. That's that's an an average of all the possible foods, but I would argue mm-hmm. that if it's fresh produce, your red dash line it will be much later than the others, because people tend to eat fresh right. produce very fast. Yes, it's not like that is true. It's not like the I think they used it also for the Peanut Corporation of America case. Um, mm-hmm. which is like making they were they were like a supplier for other people's um, peanut butter and other like candies that contain peanut butter, and that the right. delay of that process is a lot longer. And yeah, and, and, because that food is people don't just you know eat it straight away; they probably keep it around for a while mm-hmm. and eat from it periodically. So yeah, but. The chart that Ben is talking about, I've been Googling while he's talking, and I cannot find it. But if we do find it, we'll definitely put it as an addendum to the podcast, because I think that's a very useful Hey, visual. we should just, like, draw it or something. It's it's super simple, yeah. Yeah. With our description, though? Mm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but if big Earlier. data could push that line, push that announcement of uh, Outbreak... A little bit closer, yeah, right, yeah, a little sure. bit earlier. That would be a big, big achievement because it will potentially save lives. Yep. And a little plug for myself: I actually wrote a post about big data and food safety、Bam. and how big data is helping to advance food safety on the Science Meets Food blog. Look at you! So there will also be a link to that if anyone wants to check it out. But I think、um, just just a very super quick overview. You know, things like Twitter and Yelp, and you know, 
Twitter and Yelp are what people use to post their experiences at a restaurant or whatnot. So someone may be like, oh, I got sick eating at what and what restaurant. Mm-hmm. So um, there have been there have been people in the past who have used that data to kind of track which restaurants might be having an outbreak and whatnot. And I think that's really, you know, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. consumers are the one who are reporting it themselves directly right after the incident. So that's a goal mine of information for people who are trying to track foodborne illnesses. Yeah, right. And, and I mean, this might sound a little creepy and violating privacy issues, but <sighs> but like combining that social media posts with the location check-ins that people do. Oh, yeah. That would that would like especially for restaurant break, outbreaks would be a little like it narrows the radar a lot. Right, 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 for sure. Uh-huh. So those there there are great opportunities and I really I mean there there's a lot more examples, but I think um we we should really leverage this technology and see what we can do. Mm-hmm. To make food safer for everyone. Oh yeah. Um, but so thus far, though, I wonder so far what has the government, and I guess because we're both based in the U.S., what has the U.S. government done thus far to reduce such outbreaks? It's obviously it's been an ongoing problem for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Um, That's where so. the grant money is. <laughs> right. He's he's not wrong. <laughs> It's like two food chemists talking about food safety. They cannot get yeah. away with the grant money question. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just bitter because CDC and FDA doesn't give us any money at all. Well, they, <laughs> well, well technically they could, right? You can use Raman spectroscopy <laughs> to detect some kind of single, oh, it, that is true. single that is cell true. detection of whatever. <laughs> <laughs> single cell detection of salmonella. Yeah, that, 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 that's probably been be done cool. before. Uh-huh. All right, but you know, I I feel I feel like where the government grant money goes is a good indication of what the government thinks is pressing issues in terms of food. Mm-hmm. So food safety is obviously a huge one. You know, people always worry about, oh, is this pesticide bad or is this food additive gonna kill me? But really, I think food safety is probably a more prominent problem. Oh yeah, if we're talking about food safeties nowadays, we have to talk about FISMA. Oh yes. So hot take. Hot take. What does FISMA stands for? <laughs> this is a pop quiz. So FISMA stands for Food Safety Modernization Act, and I believe it was signed into. Like, it was signed into act. Is that how you say it? It was signed by the Congress, or it was put into action. It was. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever yeah, it is, like we're something. we're not citizens of the U.S. We're not familiar with the governmental system here, but I think uh-huh. it was signed in in two thousand and eleven. So yeah. there has been a couple of changes, and I think Ben, you might be more familiar with this. Um, so the good thing about FISMA is that it created a lot of jobs for food science graduates. Right, we're rejoicing. Um, yeah, right, because. Uh, one of the mandatory requirement of this law is that for for I think about ninety percent of the food manufacturers now are required to have a preventive control plan. Mm-hmm. What this means is that they need a before they produce all this food, they need to figure out what possibly could go wrong in terms of physical, chemical, and microbiological risks that involves in the entire production right so instead of waiting for things to happen you're supposed to kind of 
project it beforehand and prevent you're, it before it happens. Right, right, right. So you're imagining or you're evaluating all these potential risks and put them into a single document and train your employees and producers uh, using the same document. Mm-hmm. And supposedly these documents should talk to each other. Yes. Like if you're if you're if you're making peanut butter and somebody else is making like candy bars that contain peanut butter, these two control plants should have a matching point somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think it's yeah. not just preventive controls, but also I guess part of that you're supposed to do hazard analysis. You have to update your GMPs. And whatnot, basically, and also look at your supply mm-hmm. chain. So it's a very huge, it's a huge rehaul, and it covers a lot of technical clauses that we're not going to go into. But um, overall, yeah. I think I believe most, if not all, food manufacturers have to adhere to it. Although there are different compliance dates, so smaller businesses versus larger businesses. Um, the compliance dates mm-hmm. might be a little bit different, but that's the gist of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, which this sounds like a lot of work. That's why companies are hiring additional workforce for doing it, and it's good for our peers who find Definitely. jobs related to this. Food science graduates <laughs> are very happy. <laughs> yeah, but um, at the same time, FISMA also requires mandatory recalls, which could be related to foodborne illness. It doesn't have to be it could be you know somebody lose um, their their ring into a mixture of ground beef and that got packaged and they didn't catch the ring before it went to the grocery store so they have to recall that beef due to a possible choking right. hazard so are you saying this mandatory mm-hmm. recall this was not a thing before FISMA so if someone dropped their ring before 2011 they're not really legally required to go back uh man you put me on the spot but yeah we're both i think this is more of us like questioning hmm is this happening or is that happening than us actually being authorities (laughs) on this matter but good questions to think about for our audience (laughs) and research right right. well well, but uh, from my limited knowledge i would say that you might not be legally required for a recall, but if anything happened and you are traced back, like it traced back to you, you are legally responsible for a bigger right. case, potentially. Right? You could issuing a recall would lose you some money. But that faulty pro- product might not end up in the consumer's mouth. Right. It could be recalled in, in their in the supply chain, which would prevent more issues. So, so I guess recall is always a good thing to do if you know for sure that something happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is completely just my own pure right, right, right. logic. Nothing to back yeah, it no, up. Yeah, <laughs> no. But I think this is a very generative conversation. Uh-huh. I think. You know, even we are pretty clueless on this aspect. Just because food safety is so is so wide, you know, there are so many aspects to it. It's hard to really. Mm-hmm. There's a regulation side of it and the supply chain side of it and whatnot. So yeah, it's it's a yeah it's a right, very right, big right. topic for sure. Um, but I think it's also a very important topic because people don't realize that 
it it actually you know when you think about foodborne illnesses you might just think this person gets sick throws up for like two days and then they're over it which happens for a lot of people but there there's also a lot of people who die from it oh yeah 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 well it depends on your health condition Exactly. So I think one thing that our professor always emphasized to us is the word yopi, spelled Y-O-P-I. Mm-hmm. So it stands for, I believe, young, old, pregnant, and immunocompromised. So these people, so young people as in babies, kids, toddlers, old people, um, the pregnant population, and then people who are immunocompromised, maybe because of other illnesses that they might have, these people are especially mm-hmm. susceptible for, to foodborne illnesses. So what puts you yep. in bed for about three days might actually um, just kill them. So... Right, right, right. So, so that's one one case for say, for example, infant formula has a like a tighter food safety standard yeah, yeah. because of it, and also like nursing home foods sometimes mm-hmm. they what have stricter regulations. Like medical, medical, medical foods? foods, yeah. So things that I don't know, Abbott yeah. might make medical foods, medical nutrition stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh huh. And some I, I remember. I think it was Labuza. Um, said something about how if a 90-year-old wants a sunny-side-up egg, they would go through, like, that That egg is, like, pasteurized egg. Like, yes. in-shell pasteurized yep. egg. So they are, they're, like, lower risk of getting... I think eggs also have salmonella. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's like, a, that's, like, a good practice of feeding older people people with uh, pasteurized eggs definitely and they do make up make up like a susceptible i mean they, they do make up um a big part of the population too you know with our mm-hmm. aging population and everything and even if you look at kids you know according to the world health organization i think it says that um kids who are under five years old they account for about a third of deaths from foodborne illnesses worldwide so that's a lot mm-hmm. Because they only make yeah, up about I, nine or ten percent of the world's population, but they make up thirty percent of the world's foodborne deaths. So yeah, that's very sad, yeah. actually. Be careful mm-hmm. what you feed your kids. <laughs> yeah, and do not let them eat raw cookie doughs. No raw cookie dough. Yes. Well, oh, but I feel like that—that's like more of an adult problem. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Kids love raw cookie dough. Have you seen? Oh, really? Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't have younger siblings. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, my siblings don't eat raw cookie dough because we don't bake cookies. But I think a lot of Americans <laughs> I know, uh-huh. they go crazy over yeah. that stuff. So, Or if you're really craving yeah, but... cookie dough, just get like cookie dough flavored ice cream or something. And I, I do believe some people actually, some places actually sell pasteurized cookie dough to cater to that specific you know, population you who loves it. You can because all you need to do is um, use pasteurized yeah. eggs. Yeah. Well, also flour. Raw flour also presents certain risks. Oh, that's true. So there's a whole oh. lot that goes into uh. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. That is difficult. Maybe someone's um, capstone project, maybe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So, um, I guess kind of to wrap this up or to go back to the original core of our understanding of food safety, I guess we should talk about the ethical or practical issues. Well, I guess ethical and practical are two different issues, but um, it is more than just the science that result in food safety issues. Right. 
I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Right. Uh-huh. Like we are food yeah. scientists, but I think it goes way beyond just food science when it comes to food safety. It requires really a very multidisciplinary lens and a very multidisciplinary group of people to work on a lot of these issues. Mm-hmm. You know, be it epidemiologists or, you know, just supply chain people, just everywhere. There's, um, I mean, millions of people are making our food safe for us to consume, but we don't really see that. Yeah, and a lot of it, it's, for example, the big data case that we we just talked about. That technology of scrapping people's um, social media and match that with location data isn't anything that a food scientist or traditional food scientist would do. That's purely right. IT, but um, yeah. it, it's used for the purpose of helping uh, or protect people's health. And I'd say that a lot of practical issues also goes into it. For example, mm-hmm. cross com- cross contamination in kitchen. Yeah, that's a huge thing. So you know, apparently, I could be off. I could be off base here. I could be wrong. But about 90% of foodborne illnesses are due to improper handling procedures at home. So mm-hmm. a lot of times this is just people not, you know, doing the right thing at home. They're blaming Chipotle, but it's their own home. So, yeah. you know, maybe using the same chopping board for raw chicken and then also for your vegetables, things like that. Yeah. Um, so I think consumer education will really go a long way in mm-hmm. that aspect. So it actually ties to the bigger picture of what people nowadays say is cooking literacy. Uh, how much can you cook at home or how well are you aware of cooking skills that involves with mm-hmm. both uh, cooking good food, tasty food, and also cooking yep. safe food. And exactly. And that and that really goes along with, you know, those public health issues that people have eating with, for example, junk foods outside uh, yeah. instead of cooking yeah. at home. So, again, th- that that's where I guess our point is that the food safety work or food safety issue goes beyond food science. Definitely. Definitely. I think government, education, um, other sectors definitely involves them. And we definitely need to draw them in more to like what, what Ben said about emerging technologies and big data, pushing for that interdisciplinary work and see what skills we can leverage from other industries to make food more safe is very important. Because I think if we only think in the sense of food science within the realm of food science, you know, we're missing out on a wealth of opportunities to make food safer well i mean like just in food science because we've known like e coli 0157h7 is causing disease right it's causing right death but still the case happens yeah it's not like we don't know the principle of how this happened right we know the science part of it right you know, it's, uh-huh. it's more of the what are we gonna do about it and how are we gonna stop it yeah yeah that's yeah. more of the I- issue and that I feel it's a lot of the food safety work has been done on the sterilization or, for example, on antimicrobial packaging and all these different um, different ways of killing bacteria on food. Mm-hmm. And, and that really, you know, that has uh, that maybe it has been a shift, at least on the applied right. food science part. So people nowadays are more... Yeah. Uh, researchers are focused on how to eliminate these um, th- these pathogens on food prior to delivery. Mm-hmm. 
I think, like you said, it's 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 a it's a jigsaw puzzle. There are a lot of pieces that need to fit together. So you know, like you said, high pressure processing. There's a lot of research being done on that. Um, all of these things are important, but ultimately, it's also how everything fits together, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, and it requires more than just food scientists in this talk. Just like a lot、mm-hmm. of topics on food, it doesn't just require food scientists. <laughs> right, right, and I think it's also. I mean, we know this as food scientists, but I think it's also important that other people in other industries are aware of it and see the role that they play currently or could potentially play. You know, I think if people are keeping this at the forefront of their minds,、um, people think about it enough, and there could be, you know, potential for. Partnership in those areas, you know. I feel a lot of times, good ideas are born sometimes not within the field itself because we're so you know stewed in it, but from outside. Yeah, right.、So. Exactly.、Mm-hmm. And we talked about this in our previous episode. I think it was episode four: misconceptions of food,、uh, the pyramid of perception. And you you mentioned、yes. that. You know, you care、uh, instead of the chemical hazards that could potentially be in food. You care more about these、uh, pathogenic issues in food. Yeah. So, like, you definitely check out that episode because I think it's a fun one.、Mm-hmm. Um, it's episode four.、Um, but also, I think when consumers worry about food, they're worrying about things like I mentioned just now, pesticides,、um, artificial flavoring and coloring, and not enough about. You know what actually kills people probably more often, which are, which are, which are all these foodborne illnesses.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like that that perception and shift in perception in the general public is something I really want to see because I think people the public I mean I feel like a lot of policy regulations and whatnot are driven by sometimes you know. Are driven by the general public, and you could you could argue that food company have a lot food companies have a lot of lobbying power. But I think, especially in the U.S., consumers really have that power、mm-hmm. over food industry. So if consumers demand something,、um, the industry is going to change to fit that demand. You know, so if consumers care more about these issues, which I think are more important,、mm-hmm. I think the industry will also adapt its ways. And change accordingly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like、yeah. the E. coli,、uh, e. coli in、um, Chipotle case, right?、Um, yeah, I think Chipotle had a national shutdown day to to educate all the employees about food safety. And and these,、um, I would say, they're more and more common in the packaged food、uh, sectors to. Help people understand both the producers and the consumers that food safety is a core of the brand for for the、mm-hmm. for for the food companies, and food safety becomes part of the values of why consumers buying certain foods. Right, it's not just health or taste. Right, it's also this food is safe. Yeah, right, right, right. So, I guess that's that's a pretty solid. Discussion that we pulled off as amateurs on food safety. <laughs>、uh, don't take our words as at face value as consumers before before believing everything we say. Definitely Google. Yeah, do fact <laughs> fact check. Especially for this episode. Yeah, 
I think as a closing segment or a recurring segment in the future, we'll we'll add a segment maybe right after our updates,、uh, which is called recent recalls. And this segment will focus on some of the recent recalls in the news. And both of us are not food safety experts again. <laughs> Just <laughs>、so、to reiterate, what we'll do、again. is, yeah. So what we'll do is that hopefully we can find some of the 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 interesting take of ourselves of maybe a certain type of food that we're、uh, in the recent recalls, or it's、um, certain kind of processing techniques that got、mm-hmm. in trouble to produce some food that are bad or、uh, contain bad bacteria. So we'll take a unique approach on the 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 recent recall segment. Right. It will just be a super short segment, I guess, at the beginning of our future episodes.、Mm-hmm. That's kind of、yeah. the idea behind it. Yeah. Yep. But all right. All right. It's been a good discussion.、Um, so I hope、mm-hmm. everyone have an enjoyable Christmas. It's Christmas over here right now. But、yeah. by the time you listen to this, it might be New Year. So Merry Holidays. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we should wish everybody maybe a happy New Year. This could be、yes. the last episode. We yeah, last in... episode two thousand nineteen. Eighteen. We've come. Oh wait, wait, two thousand eighteen. Hey, you、so、have、far. this problem too. What? I listened to somebody else's podcast, and he had、uh-huh. a problem about living in twenty nineteen already. Really? I guess.、Yeah. I guess we live in a future. Oh my god! <laughs> We're future、okay. forward-looking people. <laughs> okay, great. Thank、Perfect. you very much. Thanks for listening, guys.